Welcome everybody. It's great to see so many people uh, for today's training. I'm uh, really excited that everyone is here today. Let's go ahead and get started. I'm gonna uh, do a quick uh, introduction on uh, for myself. I am David Hainick. I am a licensed clinical social worker and I am with the PMHP team. I presently work part-time as I also um, have a private practice that I uh, spend a lot of time in. And, um, and more relevant to the experience, particularly today in our overview of psychiatric disorders. Um, when I had, uh, before I moved to LA about two and a half years ago, I was in New York City and I worked with those who had uh, severe uh, mental illness, primarily schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, schizoaffective disorder. Um, we worked with a lot of uh, assertive community treatment teams. Um, so I may reflect on some of those experiences as we go through. And also I wanna highlight that I'm not a psychiatrist. So uh, if there are questions that are outside of my scope, I'll, I'll uh, politely uh, refer you to, to talk with a psychiatrist about those. I'm not gonna talk about medications or anything like that today. Um, we're really just gonna go over a few of the major psychiatric disorders and understanding this training is only, uh, only two hours. And so, how can we go through an entire DSM in two hours? Well, we we won't, but we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at symptoms kind of in groupings, and then see how those symptoms apply to major psychiatric disorders that you might see in your work. And I recognize that there's probably a lot of different types of uh, individuals on the on the call today. So. Um, yeah, there might be some of you who have lots of experience with psychiatric disorders, maybe some with very little. Um, either way, I hope you're able to uh, get something uh, from this training. And let's see, why don't we move into the, our learning objectives for today uh, really quickly. It's not too much here, but we're going to learn symptoms that are indicative of major psychiatric disorders. Some of those include delusions and hallucinations, positive symptoms and negative symptoms. Um, and then we're also going to try to identify some of the concerning symptoms as we review multiple vignettes. So I'm actually going to be, uh, we're going to start with the vignette. I will read it to you. You're more than welcome to read it on the screen, but you're welcome to just kind of sit back and relax. Um, and I'll, uh, it's in three parts. And so we're gonna go through that and I'll ask for you to kind of pay attention and identify what you think is concerning from that vignette. And then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of process those thoughts and ideas. And then, as I had said before, we'll start to group those into sets of symptoms um, and how they, how they fit in with a diagnosis. Um, and then one more thing before we get started, uh, many of you are probably familiar, and for those you who are not, um, that's absolutely okay, but most of the material that, um, that this training is based off today is the DSM-5. Um, it's, uh, the, it's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and this is by the American Psychiatric Association. They are currently in their fifth edition, and I believe this came out, ooh, I wanna say 2010 maybe, 2013, or at least this edition, I might have that a bit, might be off. 
a bit on that. I'm actually going to look. 2013. Okay. Um, so I was actually trained uh, in my schooling under the DSM-4 text revision, and then uh, this one came out um, almost 10 years ago. So um, anyways, that will be my reference for a lot of the material. Um, I also did, uh, particularly when we're talking about schizophrenia and some of the um, a, a psychotic symptoms. Um, I did reference a few studies um, that are in the reference page at the end of today's presentation. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and get started with our first vignette. And this is a fictitious, um, I made this up, is a individual named Claudia. If uh, she seems familiar to you, well, I it's certainly coincidence. Because um, again, this came from my uh, came from my head. So all right, I'll go ahead and read. So part one, Claudia lives with her father in an apartment complex. Dad works hard to support Claudia. Although Claudia is 28 years old, she has struggled to find a job that she is able to maintain. Harry, who is Claudia's father, has been increasingly concerned about her as she has been more withdrawn over the past year. She doesn't communicate with him often and he has noticed some odd behaviors, for example, Harry noticed that all of the religious items in the apartment were missing. It wasn't obvious at, obvious at first, as Harry just has a few items like a cross hanging on the wall in the kitchen, a Bible on the bookshelf, and a candle with the Virgin Mary on it. When asked about it, Claudia told her father that she wanted to have them in her room, and she said nothing further about it. Harry noted that Claudia was spending most of the day in her room with the door closed, Claudia used to enjoy going for walk, walks around the neighborhood, but that hasn't happened in some months. So with this really brief uh, vignette so far, is there anything about Claudia's behavior or mood um, that would stand out to you, that you would want to be curious about, maybe investigate a little bit more? Anything that seems like it might be, might be hampering uh, maybe an ability to function? And again, you could unmute and share out loud, or you could put it in the chat. Um, so being withdrawn, that is a, uh, that's a big one. So clearly she is withdrawn from kind of, it sounds like from society. Now we don't know if she used to work or has worked before. We don't really, yeah, don't know, but she's clearly withdrawn from it. Even the relationship with her dad, um, she's been withdrawn from that. She's been withdrawn from an activity that she used to really like, like going for walks. Um, now she doesn't seem to be doing that anymore. Um, anhedonia, not wanting to take walks anymore. Really good one. And I'm glad you used that word. It's a word we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but it's like anhedonia is not getting pleasure from things that are typically pleasurable. And it sounds like Claudia used to enjoy walks and now she's doesn't seem like she's getting a whole lot of pleasure out of that, or maybe choosing to not go on walks for another reason. Um, let's see, not doing things she used to enjoy. Thank you. That's exactly it. Um, placing all religious items in her room. That one's, uh, yeah, that one's a little curious. We're like, well, technically, they're like, it sparks my curiosity. Technically, from what we know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, she didn't necessarily steal them. Maybe she is thinking about being a little bit more religious and, and wanted those objects close to her in her bedroom. Um, maybe she's trying to pray a little bit more or something like that. But it's definitely worth noting at this point. 
Um, so again, we have withdrawal, spending most of the day in her room and, and, and again, taking the religious items to her room. Unusual behavior of collecting religious items. Yeah, I'm glad you all picked up on those. And so I'm just gonna scroll, make sure. Oh, I saw this and then I got distracted, but struggling to maintain employment. Like that's something that's kind of curious. Um, again, not that there's anything wrong for her living with her dad at 28 and not working, but you kind of wonder, like, I wonder, I wonder why. I wonder if it's, uh, you know, just difficulty finding a job, not wanting to work, um, unable to actually maintain a job. Lots of unknown stuff with Claudia right now, um, but lots of things to, uh, lots of things to be curious. And um, yeah, where is her mother? Excellent question. Um, don't know. We don't have a whole lot of information at this point. Um, and it, good, I, I appreciate uh, the cultural consideration as well of, you know, she, of, of, of living at home. I mean, we know, obviously, we're still, uh, after two years, in this pandemic. And, you know, uh, I just saw a recent news article, not that this is a huge surprise to anybody, but LA is one of the most expensive cities in the world. Um, I think we were nine on the list that I read. It depends what list you look at. I know there's lots of those going around, but um, but yeah, anyways, uh, it's not necessarily always realistic to be able to move out at 28 if you're living in Los Angeles. So um, really good. I appreciate everybody's sort of curi oops, curiosity around some of these things. So here are the symptoms that I had noted. And these are all things that it looks like most of you have also noted. Um, so unusual behaviors. You know, we might be a little... Yeah, but we might be a little early in calling them unusual. Again, we don't know much about their culture. We don't know about their religious beliefs. Maybe there's nothing really unusual about her taking those objects, but we'll just kind of take note of that and, and see if there's more to it. Um, isolation and just being withdrawn. Those ones were, were pretty clear um, and pretty much in all areas of, of Claudia's life. We didn't even hear about like any sort of friend networks or anything like that. So I think that one is very fair to put there. Um, so, and then someone had mentioned uh, before, but the concept of uh, anhedonia, and that's lack of enjoyment for life's experiences. Um, and so it, it sounds like she used to really enjoy walking. It doesn't sound like she gets a whole lot of enjoyment out of that anymore, or she simply doesn't feel like it perhaps. It's more of a it's more of a motivation issue. So I put here evolution. And now it might be unfair at this point to use this word evolution. Um, this refers to a lack of motivation, inability to initiate sustainable oriented activities. Now, normally, and at least in my experience, and if anyone would disagree, I, I would love to uh, not so disagree or have a different perspective, I would love to hear that. Um, but I typically think of evolution where it's like, not just goal-oriented activities like working and exercising, but even more basic than that, like not able to maintain your hygiene, like not be motivated to do that, maybe not even wanting to eat, like just no motivation to do it. Maybe you're hungry, it just doesn't feel worth it. Maybe not motivated to even talk to a family member. So we might see a little bit of that with dad. Um, 
but anyways, I think that's an important concept. Like I, I would not use, um, and again, this, others may view this differently, but I probably wouldn't use uh, the idea that someone is experiencing abolition if, you know, they work, they go to work every day, but they're, you know, they're not feeling motivated to maybe exercise before work. I wouldn't put that in this bucket. I would just kind of think about that as, you know, setting some goals and not having a whole lot of motivation. Abolition is a little bit more serious um, and a little bit more uh, impeding upon daily functioning. I just wanna uh, respond like, how are her sleeping habits? Um, really good question. I appreciate actually a lot of the questions because I could tell that everyone is really trying to think about what is going on with Claudia. Um, and again, that's something that we don't know. We don't know what her sleeping habits are, but that could really, that could really paint a different picture. You know, perhaps that could indicate, um, you know, if she's not sleeping at all at night, why it's difficult to find a job or difficult for her to go out and walk. Um, maybe, you know, could indicate or just indicate doesn't mean necessarily, but it could lead to an idea of like, is there substances involved or something like that? So um, it's a really good question and one that we won't, uh, we won't have an answer to. Not to, not to spoil the scenario. <laughs> so I'm going to go to part two of Claudia. So Harry has been keeping his distance from Claudia as he felt that their relationship has been strained. He knows that she has some challenges and unique qualities, but things have been getting worse. Harry finally decided that he needed to talk with his daughter about how she's feeling and what's going on. Claudia, you are in your room all day. You won't eat dinner with me and you barely leave the house. I'm worried about you. Claudia responded with, Dad, you know why I'm in my room all day and it's because of you. Don't pretend like I don't know about the conversations you have with him at night. Claudia, without any emotion, left the tiny table that they were eating dinner at in the kitchen and went to her room and closed the door. Harry noticed that she was mumbling as she left, but it was inaudible. So I'm going to ask the same question. What are some additional things that you are noticing that you would be curious about? Flat affect, really, really important. And, you know, I'm not sure how often you all use some of the, um, uh, use some of these words to describe like affect, but I always found it confusing because people can have like a constricted affect, which is kind of not as bad, but they might just be a little bit withholding emotional expression. Then there's blunted, where it's a little bit maybe more moderate, um, maybe some emotion is coming out, but for the most part, they're seeming pretty pretty flat. And then flat is basically pretty much an absence of any emotional expression at all. And it certainly sounds like Claudia is probably uh, a pretty flat affect. Um, so some other things, uh, thank you for putting these in while I was chatting. Uh, so poss uh, possible uh, audio hallucinations. Uh, I'm assuming that's what you meant. Um, yeah, really good. Like, is she hearing voices and talking to them or is she just talking to herself? So I appreciate that the possible piece is there. Um, paranoid about father talking to someone at nighttime. Absolutely. There is clearly some level of paranoia here. And well, actually I'll talk more about paranoia at the next, at the next slide. 
Um, yeah, and you kind of just summarized like the conversations you have with him. Like so far, we don't know that there's anyone that Harry is having conversations with. Um, and, and I could tell you there, there's not another individual living in the home. It's the two of them. So um, she, Claudia is feeling or fearful that there are these conversations happening. She hears them. Um, so that would certainly lead to an idea of maybe there are some um, audio hallucinations. Um, it could simply be speaking to self. So thank you for putting that in there. Perhaps she just talks to herself. I know I talk to myself probably more than I should. I talk to my dog as if she's going to answer. Um, I don't necessarily view myself as having a psychotic disorder. Um, but yeah, maybe it's she's just simply talking to herself. And that goes right along with mumbling. So uh, yeah, what is that piece about? And then she uh, she confronts her dad on something that we don't uh, don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, and dad doesn't know doesn't really know either at this point. Um, and then we have perhaps the father had a conversation on the phone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So maybe there aren't any hallucinations. Maybe it's just something to put on the radar. Maybe there's you know maybe he talks to a friend or you know a significant other at night on the phone or something like that when he's in bed um that's certainly not abnormal nothing nothing wrong with that um so let's look at some of the symptoms that i specifically uh, laid out here so i only identify two not that the other ones that you all are mentioning are inappropriate they're absolutely appropriate but we don't really know yet like the paranoia does seem to be, uh, it does seem to be there. Um, and paranoia is feeling as if others are out to get you, whether other people are, um, whether they're out to get you, they want to do you physical harm. Um, maybe they have some sort of malintent. Um, but yeah, it's this idea, this suspicion. Um, and I'm sure many of you have had experience working with those who uh, deal with uh, paranoid uh, delusions. Um, and then we also spoke of a flat affect. So just a lack of emotional expression. Um, it can be really um, unsettling sometimes. I don't know for those who, of you who have worked with individuals who have a, a, a very flat affect, but to not really see the emotional expression um, that's, that we normally would expect um, in conversing with individuals or simply living their lives. Um, so those are the two that I, I think we could pr be pretty confer uh, pretty concrete about that, that we're noticing. Um, okay, so good job with that. Thank you for highlighting those. So why don't we move into the, the third part for Claudia? And this is the last one for her. Um, the following day after Harry confronted Claudia about his concerns and her, her behavior, dad received an unexpected visitor to their apartment that afternoon. The police arrived to investigate a call made by Claudia. She reported to the police that her father was trying to kill her. And when the police arrived, Claudia came out of her room to meet with the officers and her father. Again, little emotion, she told the officers, he speaks with the devil to plot my death. When the, uh, when the officers ask follow-up questions to Claudia, she responds only by stating it's venom. Repeatedly, the officers offer to take Claudia to an emergency room for assessment, but she simply states it's venom and escapes to her room. Um, so yeah, interesting behaviors. 
what are you all thinking? What are some additional symptoms um, or characteristics are you noticing here? Um, so paranoid beliefs and delusions. Yes, absolutely. Delusions of religiosity, very good. Um, and like if we connect that back to that first slide uh, with Claudia, where she was collecting some of those items, now it's starting to make a little bit of sense why she's collecting those items, because it's based upon this belief. Um, and we only know a tiny piece of the belief. We don't we don't know the entire thing, of course. Um, we have paranoia, audible hallucinations, fear, and agitation. Really good. I, um, I you know, I, I think while it's not specifically stated that she's experiencing like maybe agitation and fear, I think it's really safe to to assume, not that we would assume when making a diagnosis, which we're not doing, but I do think it would be pretty fair to expect that those might come with this and particularly fear. I mean, I know if I thought that my dad was talking with the devil to plot my death, I would be terrified. Um, regardless of how rational it is, that would be a pretty, a, a pretty scary experience. Um, again, we're seeing more of that flat affect. So she has, you know, she's stating this kind of nonsensical, it's venom, it's venom. She's stating that repeatedly. There's, there's no emotion when she's saying it. Even when she met with the police, it sounded like there was very little speaking done. It was simply to say that one sentence and then she, she sort of, she departed from that area. Now, how a situation like this would actually play out with police, who knows? Um, I'm sure many of you on the line who've had to uh, call police for mental health emergencies probably have a better idea. Um, but anyways, I was using a bit of my creative license here and to make the vignette not incredibly long and overly complicated. But so here are the, the, two, uh, the two things that I had noted. So it seems pretty clear that there are some delusions going on. And there's also some, you know, this is where I, we could probably, uh, you know, we could look at this from a few different perspectives. It seems like it's disorganized speech. Like she's repeating statements. There's like, they're not really making um, a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, the other, the other concept um, that I was considering, and I actually went with disorganized speech, I was actually thinking of, and I'm not sure how many of you have heard of elogia, um, which is short, sort of like impoverished speech, whether it's the content, like it, there's just not a lot there, or they're just not verbalizing like complete sentences, maybe there's just perseveration. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine that's, that seems to be a, a skill to kind of differentiate between those two concepts. So again, for this, I went with, uh, oh yes, can I repeat that word? Yes, it's uh, elogia um, or elogia. It's A-L-O-G-I-A. And uh, yeah, it's one of those negative symptoms, which we'll go ahead and talk about. Um, now what's, okay, so we, we have, uh, oh, thank you. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a word that I typically uh, use. Uh, and I 
unfortunately don't don't really need to use that. It's not something I encounter in my work on a regular basis. But um, so here are all the symptoms that we had outlined. So we looked at, we saw paranoia, we saw isolation, withdrawal, uh, disorganized speech. We're going to get into that a little bit more. We saw a flat affect, unusual behaviors, delusions, anhedonia, and avolition. Um, so we'll dive into these a little bit more. Um, and there may be some other things that, that I missed or I didn't want to make an assumption. But the first sort of category of these symptoms is disorganization. Um, and this could occur in like you could have disorganized speech or you could have disorganized behaviors, or you could have both. Um, now, these are typically considered, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but these are typically considered part of positive symptoms, symptoms that are added to a diagnosis of schizophrenia, which again, I'm going to talk a little bit more. Um, we're not going to dive into that diagnosis specifically, but I will talk about that idea of positive and negative symptoms. Um, but so in speech, a disorganized speech would simply be like, you know, loose associations. I had mentioned perseveration, like where Claudia kept saying it's venom, it's venom, it's venom. That could be elogia. It could also be disorganized speech. I, again, it's, it's kind of hard, uh, in my opinion, to differentiate those. Um, Sometimes people may simply make up words or use words that rhyme, like there's absolutely no meaning to them. So it's interesting because uh, one of the more uh, significant experiences that I had with this, uh, I mean, I, I've experienced it with, with uh, plenty of clients, but kind of more day to day is when I worked in New York. And I, uh, you know, I had an office in one of our health hubs and um, it was wonderful because my office was right where many of the people that we serve were able to walk around in the halls, like whether they're going to one of their groups or they're going to meet with their ACT team because they're having a lunch or a group therapy or something like that. So people would often stop in my office. And my office also, while many people would say that this is not a good thing, I, I found it enjoyable. <laughs> enjoyable is the wrong word. I found it interesting. My office was right next to a shower that we had for clients. Um, so obviously we worked with a lot of people who were living on the streets or did not have, uh, had a difficult time with proper hygiene. So we could look at that idea of abolition or not having the motivation to take care of oneself. So anyways, um, a lot of the participants, you know, one at a time would, would take a shower and people love talking in the shower. Um, I do occasionally, normally, if anything, I'm going to sing in the shower or I'm not going to do anything because um, I'm still trying to wake up. But the participants, they just loved talking in the shower. And I heard so many very unusual and fascinating things that they said while taking those showers. It was absolutely a disorganized speech. They'd be talking about wars and CIA and um, things that just made absolutely no sense. It may be Russia, like really, really interesting. And it's not that those individuals couldn't, like you couldn't engage with them. They were like, it, it might be difficult sometimes to communicate, but I would be able to say, oh, hey, David, how are you today? Like, oh, good. After he's out of the shower, of course. And he'd be like, oh, I'm doing good. And then he might start to go back into that 
um, disorganized speech as he would sort of walk through our halls. Um, and, you know, absolutely just fine for him to do that. It took a little bit of getting used to. We, we had a few participants that that was just what they did when they came and in between groups, they just like to, to kind of walk around and, um, and have those uh, and, and, and talk about whatever it is that was crossing their mind. So that was probably the, the best example of, of my experience with it. Um, and then there's a disorganized behavior. Um, so this is certainly a decline in daily functioning. Sometimes our emotional responses are, they're just really inappropriate. Um, not inappropriate, like, oh, you shouldn't do that, but it just doesn't match what the context of the situation is. Um, and perhaps their emotional responses are just 100% predict, un unpredictable. Like you have no idea what to expect from one moment to the other. They may lack impulse control um, and it may appear really bizarre, or just simply uh, sort of lacks purpose. Um, you know, there was a man who lived in our neighborhood um, well, I, I believe he was, he might have been an unsheltered individual, and this again was in New York, but occasionally he would demonstrate some really bizarre behavior on the streets. It could have been substance induced, but he would hold these very rigid, visibly uncomfortable, almost impossible postures on the street for, I mean, 10, 15 minutes at a time. Um, it could have been a little bit of catatonia. Um, and catatonia is, you know, uh, where basically either there's a lack of movement or there's just these really rigid movements. Um, and someone can stay in those positions for a, a quite a long time. Um, we're not going to really talk about catatonia today, but um, you could certainly view that as, as a disorganized behavior. So anyways, I, I know I'm rambling here. As we talk about disorganized speech and behaviors, you could view these things as words and activities that just don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, certainly not appropriate within whatever context that individual may be in. Okay, so I wanted to talk about negative and positive symptoms. This might be something that you all have experienced, um, not personally, but with clients. And um, it's a concept that is typically only used within like schizophrenia spectrum disorders. Like I, I wouldn't I like, you know, I, I, in my private practice, for example, I work with a lot of people who have depression. I wouldn't necessarily, I would not say that they're experiencing negative symptoms, um, not in this context. So, you know, I bring this up just to kind of keep it within this world of schizophrenia spectrum disorders. I'm not sure if anyone else has a different experience if they've found that they've used outside of that diagnosis, uh, outside of schizophrenia, um, diagnosis, uh, diagnosis, but, um, but yeah, not something I've seen in other, in, in other settings. So anyways, why don't we talk about negative symptoms first? So they're called negative because you could view it as taking something away. And you'll notice that pretty much every one of these words, um, with the exception of the last one, it, it starts with the word lacking. Um, so, uh, First one is flat affect. So really just lacking emotional expression. And so flat affect, and, and this gets to your question, 
Um, and for those of you who don't have your chat open, he had asked, as you go through the slide, explain, uh, can you also explain the difference between Blonte? So it, it's a tough question um, because there are, you know, the categories that are typically used, yeah, you would see flat. Flat is the most extreme. You could view flat as just the absolute absence of any emotional expression for that individual. Blunted is, there might be some, there might be some emotional expression. I, it's quite minimal. You know, how do you di differentiate between flat and blunted? You know what, like you could ask me one and I'll say, oh, I would think blunted. You might ask somebody else and they would say, oh, that's definitely flat. I, I think there's a little bit of subjectivity to it. Now I'm viewing this almost as a continuum and like even less severe than blunted, you could go to a constricted where, you know, they are showing some emotional expression, but it's, yeah, it feels like there might be more to it. Um, so if you view it on a continuum, constricted, blunted, and then flat. That, that helps me a bit. Um, and, you know, it, it's probably not super important to differentiate those two, uh, those three, excuse me. I mean, I, I, I guess if somebody is showing some emotional expression, I probably wouldn't want to use flat. I might want to say constricted or blunted, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a difficult uh, differentiation. And if anyone else has a different experience using those terms, or if you use them interchangeably, feel free to share. But yeah, I, can, I personally think it can be somewhat confusing. Um, so we talked about this before, anhedonia, lack of enjoyment, sorry my, for my very brief definition there, um, but yeah, not finding pleasure in activities that one would normally uh, find pleasurable. I actually do use this word on a fairly regular basis and something I encounter. Um, eh, I'm not super often, but um, I tend to use it when it's a little bit more severe. Um, and then evolution, again, this is that lack of motivation, not motivation, as I said before, of like, oh, I don't want to get up this morning, but motivation, like I am not showering. I may not get out of bed today. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not doing, I'm not doing a single thing. Um, way more, you know, debilitating, um, really impacting uh, functions of daily life. And then elogia. So I, I didn't remember if I put this in here or not, but impoverishment in thought, whether demonstrated by speech or content. So, uh, you know, I, this one for me is really difficult. Uh, to differentiate between that sort of disorganized speech. Um, you know, if we view it from positive or negative, if it's really just truly an impoverishment, like it's lacking, there's not a whole lot of thought in the speech pattern, there's not a whole lot of content there. Um, that makes sense to me where, you know, the disorganized speech, like they're adding to, there's not, add, not they are adding, it's not like they consciously choose to add to their symptoms, but their speech is adding to the sets. Like they're saying things that just, again, don't make sense, don't need to be said out of context, seemingly inappropriate, not in a judgmental way, just inappropriate in context. Um, and same thing with the behavior. Here I did put that rigidity, catatonic, unusual, etc. Um, so sorry for me jumping around a bit. So negative symptoms, things that are taken away from that individual's experience, and then positive symptoms, things that are adding to their experience. So we'll get through, we're, we're going to talk about these, but there's hallucinations, delusions, 
we've already talked about the disorganized stuff, so I'll ignore those for now. So hallucinations, these are, these are sensory-like experiences, but there's there is no stimulating of those sensory organs. So someone may smell something that that there's no that scent just does not exist in that context. Somebody may see something that no no other people are able to see. It, it probably doesn't exist. The eyes didn't necessarily pick up that sensation, but it came from the mind. Um, you, so all five senses, and we're going to go through those and maybe some examples. Um, and then delusions. Uh, it's it's easy to sometimes get delusions and hallucinations uh, mixed up. Delusions are simply not simply they're complex, but they're they're thoughts. They're thoughts that are just not seemingly based in reality. When you put it in context with culture, and when you put it in context with whatever society um, kind of holds value to, um, you know, it's uh, it's a, it can be a little bit tricky because I imagine if we looked at some cultures, and I'm sure if some people looked at our cultures, they would say, "Wow, if I look at this from a very sort of um, uh, objective." viewpoint, that's delusional. Well, it's not delusional if it's, in, if it's in context of what a society holds as having value or it's based in tradition um, or it's based in, in, in beliefs. Like, uh, so differentiating that is really, really important. Um, and another comment here, I would add paranoid beliefs to the positive symptoms. Yeah, you know, that's actually, I appreciate that. You're absolutely right. Somebody could be paranoid without necessarily having a delusional belief attached to that paranoia. I'm actually going to take note of that because I think it's really, really excellent, um, excellent feedback for me on that. I absolutely agree with you. And those are most certainly positive symptoms that is definitely adding to uh, someone's experience. Okay, thank you so much for that. Let's talk about hallucinations. So we talked, uh, I briefly went through, like it's of course the, the five senses um, and there's, but there's six here. So I, I hope I'm able to differentiate these for you in a way that makes sense, um, but we'll, we'll go down. So auditory, these ones are, are, are fairly common in psychotic disorders. Um, so here's an example. I hear voices telling me to kill myself. Um, Again, a very common uh, type of hallucination. Um, that experience for the individual is 100% real. It's not as if they're making it up. It's not as if you are able to say, oh, you're actually just experiencing an, a hallucination that doesn't exist. For somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of insight to their illness, that is not going to go over well because to that person, it is 100% real to them. Um, so anyways, auditory, hearing things that don't actually exist. Uh, gustatory, um, this is less common. Um, so I, uh, yeah, not very common. You may see this in some of your practice um, in some of the patients that you've worked with, but if somebody is having taste sensations um, that 
there, there's no stimuli that would actually cause that sensation, um, then we can say that they are having a gustatory uh, hallucination. So here's an example. I can taste poison in my mouth. Now, this one, I'm, I'm kind of combining it with a bit of a paranoid delusion of, you know, this idea that somebody would want to poison somebody. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it, it demonstrates the point. <laughs> um, the, uh, the next one, uh, olfactory, again, this is another one that is, it's less common. It certainly happens, but it's not very common. Um, and I kind of combine this with a delusion just to help it make sense. Um, someone may feel that their internal organs are rotting and they could smell the rotting smell. Um, I want to show a video, and I, I think we'll have time for it, actually. Um, but the the woman who talks about her experiences, she she thought she just reeked. That was her exact word. She just felt like she stunk, um, and there, there was no no evidence to support that. Um, so here, these two are uh, I find a bit confusing. There's somatic, and then there's tactile. So somatic refers to something kind of happening inside your body. Um, so like this person here, the example is I can feel electricity inside my body. And it's different than tactile where somebody might actually feel sensations on their skin. Um, so here the individual says there are microscopic bugs crawling on my skin. Um, so that would be, I, I would view that as a tactile hallucination. Um, but if somebody says that they feel sensations inside their body, um, I would probably put that in the category of somatic hallucinations. Um, and you know what? I, I, I don't know how important it would be if those got a little bit confused. I can recognize that there's a, you know, there's a little bit of overlap between those two. Um, but it is important to point out that, uh, which was a surprise to me, but that tactile um, is less common in primary psychotic illness. Um, I was actually surprised by that. And perhaps I was surprised because I'm thinking about uh, substance use and how that actually oftentimes, uh, you know, if I'm thinking about use of crystal meth, sometimes people do have those sensations. Um, I actually have a individual I'm working with now who's partner is uh, dealing with the crystal meth uh, addiction and maybe some psychosis, but there's always the sensation that there are bugs crawling on his body. Um, and then finally, uh, a fairly common one is, ah, I don't want to say common, but our uh, visual hallucination. So I saw demons following me in when I went to the store. And, you know, in another uh, conflicting or a complicating factor is that, you know, with anxiety um, and even with depression, like those do have some very real um, physical uh, physical manifestations. So I would not view those as uh, psychotic in any way. Um, I was just kind of talking about this uh, with someone earlier about anxiety and how they feel it in their in their chest. There's always a pain, like right there, like. Uh, Probably not. Um, certainly, I wouldn't view that as hallucination. So, thank you for that client with symptoms of schizophrenia, as opposed to the label of a schizophrenic client. Thank you for uh, 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 for correcting me. Um, you're absolutely right. That is certainly a much more person-centered way uh, to verbalize that. Um, okay, so I want to talk about delusions now. As I go through these, I want to just men mention that. This is my differentiation between non-bizarre and bizarre. 
there is going to be some subjectivity to this. So if you disagree, like I will, um, I'll take it. I own it completely. I, I it was I, some of these I really struggled with. So I went through on the left is a list of different types of delusions. And then there's this difference between bizarre and non-bizarre. So a non-bizarre delusion is an idea that like it most likely isn't true, but it, it could happen. Um, like it could be within the realm of possibility. It's not physically impossible. It doesn't defy physics. You know, it, it, it could happen. Um, it's just probably really, really unlikely. And then bizarre is one where it's just like, I, I, it, it really doesn't, it, it's actually kind of impossible for that to happen. Um, understanding there's some gray area in this. So here we, the first one I'm, I'll review is jealousy. So a non-bizarre example is that I see how you look at every woman with lust. And I mean that in a very literal sense. I don't mean it like someone who's just maybe a little bit jealous and saying, you look at everybody as if you think they're hot. Like, not like that, but I, I'm, I'm being a bit more uh, literal here. Um, and could that be possible? Could someone be looking at every woman with lust? Yeah. That's possible, but, you know, depends on the context, probably not likely. Um, and then more of a bizarre example is your cheat. I know you're cheating on me with uh, Vladimir Putin. Now, I guess that could also be possible, but I put that in the bizarre. I'm like, oh, come on, that can't be possible. <laughs> but I guess maybe if we were in Russia, it could be possible. I have no idea. Um, the next one is uh, erotomanic. Um, so this is about people be in love with you. So someone may say, my therapist is in love with me. They spend an hour with me every week. I could see it in his eyes. He's absolutely in love with me and I don't know what to do about it. Um, it is possible therapists do fall in love with clients sometimes, um, but it's probably not likely. And a more bizarre example is Satan is in love with me, but I'm not ready to marry him yet. So here we have, uh, you know, not to say whether or not Satan exists, is Satan in love with somebody? Uh, probably not. It just doesn't seem within the character. Um, okay, grandiose. So uh, grandiose is kind of like an inflated sense of self, uh, really inflated self-esteem um, or an inflated idea of your abilities and accomplishments in life. So someone may say, I have millions of dollars saved overseas. That's possible. Um, you know, sometimes you hear things like that from people where it really seems like that's probably not the case, um, based on maybe unfair assumptions. Um, and then there's, you know, maybe a more bizarre example of, I'm actually the CEO of Apple. I invented the iPhone, you know, they work through me, but all those ideas are mine. Um, yeah, probably not. I, there was a, a client that I would check in with on a regular basis when I lived in New York um, with, with my work who, um, you know, always talked about him being the CEO of a company and, you know, how much money he makes and all of that. And I, I never could really figure out, but he never shared with me like what type of company it was. Um, it didn't appear that it, that probably wasn't, wasn't true. Um, so I kind of, associated it to this. Um, there's uh, delusions of being controlled. So um, God controls all of my actions. Um, I mean, that might actually be consistent with some individuals' religious beliefs, which then not, at that point, I probably wouldn't make that a delusion. Um, so a little bit of a gray area there. Um, 
but I, I wouldn't necessarily think of that as being bizarre, but perhaps my thoughts are controlled by Hollywood elites. Okay, yeah, that's definitely not possible. Ideas of reference, my case manager resigned because of me. So that's looking at things that are outside of oneself and assuming, making this idea that that happened because of me or uh, that has to do with me. Uh, so here's another example that's a little bit more bizarre. So the meteorologist on the news was staring right at me when he was talking about stormy weather. He was he was saying that I was, uh, you know, that I was a moody person. I know he was talking about me. I saw him, I saw his eyes look directly into mine. That would be bizarre. That would certainly be an idea of reference. Um, there's ideas uh, that are uh, persecutory. Um, this often goes along with paranoia, um, but it's the idea that uh, you know someone's out to hurt you. So here the police are following me everywhere I go. Well, that actually could happen. It's probably unlikely, but it could happen. Um, and here's a more bizarre example. All cats have microchips that are programmed to direct them to attack me. Yeah, that's definitely pretty bizarre. That I don't think that would happen. Um, now we're looking at somatic, so I'm missing some organs. Technically, that could be true. <laughs> it's not completely bizarre. Now, if somebody said that they were missing their hearts and they, they don't have a heart and they don't have a brain or lungs, like, okay, that, that's, that's getting into the bizarre place. Um, more bizarre is my internal organs were removed and replaced with advanced technology. Last two, we have thought broadcasting. My partner knows what I'm thinking as I'm thinking it. You could see how that's like, uh, it's kind of weird, but it, it, could, it could be kind of not completely bizarre. Um, or if we go into the bizarre place, my thoughts are streamed to a private YouTube channel watched by millions. And then there's thought insertion. So this is where someone thinks that their thoughts are not theirs, they're someone else's. So my thoughts are actually those of my partners. Or if we get more bizarre, my thoughts are the thoughts of a, oh, that's supposed to say man. My thoughts are the thoughts of a man named Timothy who lives in Czech Republic. I don't know why I thought that was bizarre. It just seems like it's so specific and like the likelihood of that, yeah. So anyways, as you can see, there's a little bit of a gray area between what's bizarre and non-bizarre. There are many times where it's probably not that important to differentiate. Uh, is this bizarre? Is it not bizarre? If you have to question it, then it's probably, you might be safe going in the non-bizarre category. And when it's bizarre, you'll know it. And I'm sure you've all experienced that. Um, not on a personal level, but, but in your work. And on a personal level too, that would be okay. It happens, mental illness happens to many. Um, so, all of these symptoms that, that, I, that we talked about, they all fit in with, these, uh, with, with psychotic disorders, which is a pretty decent sized component of the DSM-5. Um, there's schizophrenia, there's schizoaffective disorder, there's schizophreniform, there's a brief psychotic disorder, there's delusion disorder, delusional disorder, excuse me. There's a schizotypal personality disorder, which I find, uh, which is kind of a, uh, something new in the DSM-5, where they put the personality disorders, they, they spread them out in some different categories. Now, it's probably not helpful um, to go through the specifics of each one of these, which is why I'm not going to. A lot of them have to do with time frames. Some of them have to do with a number of symptoms, like, you know, schizophreniform, perhaps you don't meet 
four of criteria, you'll only meet two or three. Like, so those things, we're not gonna go over that today. Um, but when you start to see all of these symptoms that, that are uh, of psychosis, we, we can think that, okay, maybe one of these disorders um, exists with this individual. Um, and just to speak a little bit about schizophrenia, I imagine that's something that you all work with on a fairly regular basis. Just a few quick little facts about it. The cause is actually not really known. Like there are genetics that, um, that may play a role in it, but yeah, there's not a whole lot of information on what causes it. Now, when it emerges, this is typical. It doesn't mean it's all the time. So for, uh, for males uh, or males assigned, individuals assigned male at birth, it's typically first, the first time they have a psychotic episode it can be like early mid-20s. That doesn't mean that's only when it could happen. And individuals identified as female at birth, their first psychotic episode might happen a little bit later in their late 20s. Again, it could happen anytime though, this is just when it typically uh, would occur. Um, and we've already talked about the other symptoms that are uh, uh, consistent with schizophrenia and some of these others. Um, and I wanted to share an, an anonymous comment, and thank you so much for providing this with me, but there's somebody who had shared with me that they had previously, uh, or they're, they're presently in recovery, but when they were using substances, they actually experienced psychosis in that process of addiction. Um, and they, it, it, not schizophrenia, not a psychotic disorder, maybe psychotic induced from substances, but outside of substances, it sounds like that, that wasn't a thing. It was only in the context of using. Um, I, I have a young client that I'm working with and uh, you know, she had been hospitalized um, for psychosis, um, but it was substance induced. And it, she has not demonstrated any of that again. So um, it's not to say that it won't ever happen, who knows? but um, certainly see where it really was just in the place of, of, of induced by, by substance use. Um, and I'm gonna just read a couple more comments. Thank you so much for all this. Um, okay, so there's a question here of like, how does sleep deprivation impact uh, the psychosis symptoms? Really good question. I don't have a whole lot of information. I, I do recognize that, uh, that that can happen with sleep deprivation. I do not have a whole lot of information on that. However, um, what is interesting though, too, like you combine sleep deprivation, I imagine that probably happens when somebody uses meth consistently. And like, again, just another sort of contributing factor to possible psychotic symptoms. So I, I'm not sure if there's a connection there. Um, and then a comment here, I think there are folks that start using meth and feel so much better and continue into addiction because of the success of feeling better, but they were actually self-medicating um, an unknown depression that's on us. Yeah, of, of course, I think that's a really valid point of like, where does this, is, where's the substance use starting from? Is it the self-medication? Um, and then they realize it feels good, much better than maybe how they've been living their lives and it continues in cycles.
Okay, and then uh, last question here. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what are the most important things to have in a safety plan for family members of clients in psychosis in terms of what families should or should not do? Oh my gosh, what a really wonderful question. Um, I do want to put that out to everybody else to see what, uh, what everyone else has to say about that, like what you would include. Um, I think for me, one of the most important things is establishing a sense, uh, some level of trust. So when somebody might be having a psychotic episode and depending on how much insight they do or don't have in their illness, it's not about trying to convince that individual that their experience is not real. It is real. It's a hundred percent real to them. Um, and that's, the, the the more we as helpers or as family members try to support that person and then also try to say like oh no it's it's just a hallucination it's just this like that's that's typically not going to be helpful maybe someone has a little bit more insight into their illness and they and maybe they need to be reminded they're like oh you you might be having an episode um but again i think it's it's fair to say that uh, trying to argue, trying to convince otherwise probably isn't going to be really helpful. Um, and trust is one of the most important things um, to have during that time. Um, and then we have a comment here of, you know, just keeping, keeping weapons, anything that could harm away. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's helpful. It's probably maybe not for everybody. I think it depends on what sort of psychosis somebody may experience if they have a history or if if there's a reason that they might be a little bit more dangerous that might absolutely you would want to uh you would want to uh uh keep that there um and and make sure that weapons knives things that could harm are, are away from the individual um but i would think like if there's somebody who really doesn't have any history of harm like they're psychotic uh their psychosis doesn't involve harming of others or feeling like they have to protect themselves or they need to harm somebody else. Um, it, it may not be a necessary step. And, and the reason I would say that, because you could say, well, like, just do it anyways. Um, I'm thinking about trust. And if we did that and somebody is like, why are you doing that? Like, do you think I'm going to harm you? Like, it could sort of damage the trust there. So I think it's, it, it's like a really important point of keeping weapons away but like how do you um how do you balance that out with making sure you don't uh you don't violate their their trust for you but then again you know as as you can see i'm going back and forth uh then again it's like if there's a chance that somebody could be physically hurt or killed like do you want to take a chance so or like uh validate their feelings uh but not the symptoms so yeah exactly uh again if somebody thought they were being chased by demons I, if I thought that I'd be terrified, um, whether or not it's real, like that's like, imagine that if somebody has those, uh, those hallucinations, like they're, they're still going to be activated. Their fight or flight response is still going to be activated. Like their amygdala in the brain is activating that response. It's not assessing whether there truly is uh, a danger, whether there really are demons out to get them or something else that doesn't exist in reality. It's simply the amygdala is like, there is a threat. 
we are going to respond, you are now in fight or flight. So that individual is not going to be able to access all the executive functioning in those moments as well. So it's important to uh, keep, keep that in mind. Um, course call 911 when needed, using coping skills with clients. Um, also important to link uh, family to services if possible. It can be really upsetting and confusing to see someone you love suffering with psychosis. Absolutely. Thank you for that. So I, um, not ignoring that the family is going to need a lot of support around this. Um, really, really helpful. So excellent. Thank you so much. Um, this was a video that I was going to show. I don't, I don't even know how I came across this, um, but she is, I, I've been following her for a bit. Um, her name is Lauren. Um, she's been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. Um, she does like a video blog um, on Patreon. Most of it's also on YouTube. And um, I don't know if I said this, she lives in Canada. And um, she is incredibly transparent with her experience. Um, she shares like when she was hospitalized, how she was feeling, what experience she had, like um, in, a, in a way that is really easy to understand. And not that I understand what it's like to have schizoaffective disorder, but it, 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 it's very, she's very relatable. Um, and I, I like, I, uh, I actually donate to her on Patreon, please. I'm not in you're welcome to do that. I'm just probably oversharing, um, but I have learned so much from her. Um, and uh, yeah, I encourage you to just check her out. You could Google uh, or in YouTube, like search living well with schizophrenia um, and she should come right up. She's got a ton of videos. Um, she just had a child recently. She's married and like she talks about all of the challenges with that and obviously she doesn't necessarily represent um the diversity that we see here in la um so i want to honor that like yeah she doesn't necessarily look um and sound maybe like the people that we typically work with um but i still have just found it really really beneficial um, and understanding what some of those experiences might be like. So I'd encourage you to, to check her out. Um, okay, so we're gonna move into a next vignette. Okay, so I'm gonna read about Matthew. He's a, this one, these ones are a little bit shorter. So we're gonna talk about Matthew. He works at Best Buy as a sales associate in the computer department. He loves working with computers and even builds computers at, at home as a hobby. However, it's been a while since he engaged in this activity. Um, he has also been struggling at work. Over the past three months, he has called in sick about three times. He appears, he appears to be withdrawn during his shift. Um, so again, I know there's not much there. What are, some, uh, what are some things that stand out that you would be concerned about or you would be curious about that you might wanna explore a little bit more with Matthew? How old is he? Good question. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna make this up. I'm gonna say he's like 28. So yeah, change in his previous interest. He doesn't engage in his hobby anymore, and it's like he's still connected to it because that's what he does at work. But like yeah, he just doesn't do it at home anymore. Um, he call, he's called in sick three times this month. And the assumption is, is that that's kind of not like him. Um, 
and he's distancing himself, withdrawn, maybe a lack of motivation at work. Um, uh, and what, and you, there's a question here about like that you'd want to know, like what happened around the time of isolation? Um, it sounds like uh, he might be experiencing some symptoms that are consistent with depression. Good, good. Yeah, absolutely. So these are the ones, the only two at this point that I'm highlighting that were really evident in that part of the vignette. Not wanting to engage in hobbies and withdrawn. Again, nothing, nothing super serious at this point, but certainly kind of raises, uh, makes you a bit curious. So let's look at a second part for Matthew. So Matthew lives with his girlfriend, Victoria. She had noticed changes in his behavior also. She noticed that his appetite is low, that he has not been interested in having sex, and he has been sleeping much more than usual. Matthew confided with one of his coworkers that he has just been feeling worthless lately doesn't have doesn't have the energy for anything. So additional symptoms or uh, uh, yeah symptoms that that you're noticing with this additional information. Change in sex drive, change in appetite, feelings of worthlessness, sadness. Yep, absolutely. Sleeping less. Um, and yeah, like when was the last time he had a full blood checkup and the results? Those would be really good questions to ask him. And also I appreciate that comment because you always want to like, always want to like kind of rule out like if there are like medical conditions that might be factored into this. So thank you for, for pointing that out. That is very important. He's experiencing fatigue. Uh, lack in pleasure in pleasurable activities. Yeah, so like uh, sex, his hobby, those things, not really interested. Um, oh, uh, sleepy more. Yeah, sorry. I, and I, I went right along with you that he's sleeping less, but <laughs> you're right. I think the vignette actually says um, he's been uh, sleeping more than usual. Um, any substance use concerns? Excellent question. Uh, that's something that we, we don't necessarily know about Matthew, but that would be along with that, uh, with medical conditions, we would want to rule out if there's a substance use issue that we would also, uh, that, that we would want to screen for. So here are these additional symptoms that we're noticing. He has a lowered appetite. He's disinterested in sex. He's feeling worthless. His energy is low and his need for, for sleep is, is increased. And so here are all of the things in combination that we're seeing with Matthew um, at this point. Obviously a vignette like this, like there's so much more exploring to do, but for our, for our sake today, you know, we're just kind of clustering these things. I, I like this also, it's another opportunity to rule something out. Like, is there a loss in, with the family member? Like, is he grieving? Is that what's going on here? So these could all be really important um, avenues to, to explore. Um, another question that comes up and one that is definitely consistent with a major depressive episode is, does he have thoughts of harming himself? So of course, uh, when you see symptoms like this, I mean, hopefully we tend to screen for suicidal ideation in most cases, but definitely 
um, when we see someone who's experiencing these sorts of symptoms. So what we're going to assume that what he's experiencing is a major depressive episode. I say assume just because we just have such a quick little snapshot. We're not ruling all those other things out, but let's just pretend we did. Um, here are some of the most important uh, 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 symptoms that one would experience when having a major depressive episode. So they're feeling sad, empty, or hopeless most of the day and almost every day. And here they use a time frame like during the past two weeks. Um, we see the diminished lack, uh, or I'm sorry, the diminished pleasure or lack of interest in activities. Matthew gave a really good example of that, of, yeah, he's not interested in doing his computer stuff. Um, and we could probably put sex in there as well. Um, the DSM-5 does list significant unintentional weight loss. They give sort of an example or benchmark of 5% of body weight in a month. I imagine there's a little bit of a gray area there. Um, and I also, uh, you know, I, I think you consider that even if maybe it doesn't hit that 5% benchmark, you know, if there are some significant changes, I think it's reasonable to, uh, to kind of put that into this uh, categorization. So challenges with sleep, people can do either or, you know, difficulty sleeping, so experiencing insomnia, or sleeping way too much. Um, I, you know, I've certainly, you know, in the work that I have done, I, I've seen, I've seen a little bit of both. I think I see sleeping more um, to be more common, um, but that's only my experience. I'm not saying that um, as if it's, uh, you know, a data-supported fact. Um, feeling agitated or being slowed down. Um, we don't really get a whole lot of that with Matthew. Maybe slowed down in that he's not engaging in this hobby. Um, I didn't hear a whole lot of agitation with him. Um, but, you know, I, I could think about somebody that I'm working with right now who, who does get really agitated. And he's got lots of good reasons to feel agitated. Like he's not getting joy out of his relationship. He's not getting joy out of his work. He doesn't have the same group of friends. He doesn't have this ability to engage in his hobbies. And so he, he gets quite agitated. Um, and I think there's a lot of good reason for that. Um, loss of energy, very common. Um, feelings of worthlessness or excessive guilt. Someone may have trouble concentrating or feeling indecisive. And then the last one, but one of the very important ones is recurrent thoughts of death or a suicidal ideation. So again, this is something that we would consider a major depressive episode. And the reason I'm framing it as a major depressive episode, as opposed to saying this individual has a major depressive disorder, is I think looking at this cluster of symptoms is actually more important because this could be consistent with more than one, more than one diagnosis. Um, Matthew, depending on its history and, um, and a few other factors, maybe he's actually experiencing a major depressive episode in the context of a bipolar mood disorder, which we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll talk about in a bit. Or maybe he's only experiencing these episodes. And so he has uh, you know, a diagnosis of major depressive 
disorder uh, would be more appropriate. So again, we'll, we'll look at the other half of the bipolar mood disorder, but recognizing that these symptoms are consistent with depression is what's important and what, uh, what I, I hope we are able to get out of this. I also imagine that none of these things are uh, particularly new to, uh, to most of those who are on the call today. So I'm, I'm sure these are pretty familiar. Um, are there any, oh, um, and there is a, uh, a, just a comment about a co-occurring co disorders. And yeah, certainly with a major depressive uh, disorder or episode, you would wanna screen to see if there are any co-occurring disorders taking place. Um, and are, is some of the depression coming from substance use? Like, where is it coming from? Kind of back to that question that we had when we were talking about psychosis. Is it coming primarily from substances or is it there without the substances? So um, certainly your job for those of you who, uh, who have to diagnose, they're not, they're certainly not easy ones. We're gonna talk about a new vignette and now we're gonna, uh, and this one is about Janet. Okay, so Jessica woke up to the sound of her mother, Janet, coming home uh, very late with multiple bags from Walmart. When Jessica questioned her mother about what was going on, Janet, sounding irritated, told her daughter that she doesn't have time to explain in detail. However, she thought of a great idea to start her own business and she wanted to get started right away. I know that's not much. <laughs> Is there anything here that, that kind of raises an eyebrow? Would you be concerned or would you be curious? I put in the chat, there's this degree of impulsivity and yeah, we don't quite know, but I, I think by the idea that Janet seemed to be like, or I'm sorry, Jessica, the daughter, I don't know why I, I named the, these characters and I should have made the names a bit more different. Anyways, uh, the, the assumption is Jessica's like, what is going on? <laughs> why are you coming home from Walmart at this time? And why is there so much stuff that you bought? Um, and so another comment here. Uh, oh, two more. So compulsive spending, grandiose ideas. Um, that is atypical for her. Thanks. That's a really great um, observation. And there, there's a bit of an assumption around there, which I get, but I, I really appreciate that you pick that up. The sense that there might be some grandiosity there. Like you got this great business idea. We don't know what it is. And it could be like great businesses have started with impulsivity, um, but kind of like, oh, okay, like you think, this can happen right away, that that could borderline on that grandiosity. Um, so I, I'm glad you were able to pick that up. Um, we'd wanna gather more information on like on the business idea. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting to know, like is this, is it truly impulsive or is this like, no, this is actually a thing. Um, she really is gonna start her own business and it's a hobby, it's a skill she has and it's absolutely realistic. So we'd wanna kind of, know a little bit more about that. I agree. We'd want to know, like, are there any past similar behaviors? Has this happened before? Similar to the other comment, like, does she always shop at Walmart late at night and spend lots of money? Well, then maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a spending problem as opposed to something else. Um, yeah, I, thanks for picking this up. Uh, almost frantic with timing, no time to talk, need to start right away. I appreciate that you were able to kind of take note of that. 
Um, <laughs> she just woke up. What time of day is it? Yeah, so I was trying to paint the picture that um, that it's like in the middle of the night, you know, that, you know, the daughter went to bed and um, mom went shopping and then came back. So <laughs> I don't know if that might have been not as clear, but yeah, that was that's the intent there. Um, okay, so here are some of the symptoms that I highlighted here. Um, the, the need for less sleep. Um, I forgot that I even put that in there. It's a little bit of an assumption, might need a question or two before we can really document that as official, but it uh, looks like I, I went ahead and put it in there anyways. Increase in goal-directed activity. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I actually regret not putting that impulsivity word. I know a few of you have used that and thank you for doing it. And I put the more like definition in DSM. I, I actually wish I would have included impulsivity as well, um, but I listed it as increase in goal-directed activity, which sounds really positive, actually. I'm like, I want an increase in goal-directed activity. Not quite like that, though. Um, and then there's some irritability, which uh, was pointed out. Um, and we see some, uh, a few more questions that we want to ask. Has this happened in the past? That leads Jessica to become concerned. Um, does the mother purchase items that are not needed or redundant? Mania. Yeah, really good question. Uh, uh, good questions. And one thing that I really like about this, I like that you're thinking about pulling family in to help with that assessment process. I know that's not always possible, um, but when it is, oh my gosh, how helpful um, can that be? You know, and so, yeah, chatting with Jessica, like, has this happened before? You know, and is this out of the ordinary? Yeah, they're the best eyes and ears. They certainly can be. Thank you for that, uh, for those comments. Okay. Part two with Janet. So Janet took over the kitchen table with her items, started unpacking them. She told Jessica, I'm not even going to work tomorrow. I have too much to do. They don't even recognize that I'm the one of the greatest artists that ever lived. Don't worry, sweetie. We'll be able to move out of the Section 8 housing and get a mansion in the hills within a couple of weeks. Just wait until we go global. Okay. <laughs> Those comments did not take long. Yes, grandiosity. Um, yeah, that's kind of. I, I was going for that. I, I guess I, I guess I succeeded there. Um, so yeah, definitely, incredibly uh, feeling incredibly grandiose here. And maybe she is a really wonderful artist, but uh, yeah, it sounds like it's going a little bit, a little bit. Uh, overboard. Um, and anything else that you're noticing from this really brief sort of uh, section? Unless she, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the comment is, unless she is narcissistic. Absolutely. That could be something we definitely want to rule that out. Um, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, she is really energized. She is. She has lots of energy. Um, not wanting to fulfill responsibilities like work. So thank you. That, that's what I was hoping would come up. It's just a little bit of uh, kind of risky, uh, risky behavior. I mean, it may not be what what we typically experience or expect to hear when talking about symptoms such as this, but... Yeah, she's just gonna skip work and like work on this and that that's probably not a good idea. Um, so yeah, a little bit risky there. 
perhaps we'd want to ask more questions, see if there are other risky behaviors. Like, is she, you know, going to take out a loan for a hundred thousand dollars or something like that, or who, who knows? Um, making excuses, shifting blame by saying they don't recognize or appreciate her talents. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. I don't know if that specifically fits in with the symptom, but I think it is really helpful to identify that there is some rationalization of those behaviors. Um, and it might speak to the grandiosity. Um, so yeah, it, it could go a few different directions, but thanks for, for oh, <laughs> thank you for, uh, uh, for pointing that out. Um, assess for ideas of reference. Ooh, very good. I would, yeah, like I wonder where these ideas uh, where these ideas came from. Um, thank you for pointing that out. I think that would, uh, I think that would be helpful. There's a lot of different directions that we would want to explore with this. So here are the, here are the things that I sort of identified against. Some of these were a bit presumptuous, but <laughs> grandiosity, inflated self-esteem, no, like, I think there's total agreement there. Um, a fight of ideas. Uh, I, I don't know if we truly see that quite yet in here. I tried to put it in a bit, but it, it, in the short vignette, I, you know, I didn't do a good job of spelling that out, but I wanted to list that. Um, risky activities. So here it might be more about just like the, the shopping, uh, not being financially responsible, perhaps not going to work. Um, and I tried to get the idea that she was really talkative. <laughs> I don't know if that came across in the vignettes, but, um, but that was a, a behavior that I wanted to highlight. So here's all of those things that we're seeing with Janet together. And so, yeah, I, I, of course, I'm not surprised. I mean, I know you all uh, imagine that you were thinking manic episode. That's of course what I was trying to demonstrate here. It seems like Janet is experiencing a manic episode. Um, she has a certainly inflated self-esteem and feeling grandiose, a decreased need for sleep. So she has to do a Walmart shopping at night, um, more talkative or she's feeling, or her, pre, her, her, her speech is pressured, um, flight of ideas or thoughts racing. I could imagine this happening with her. I don't know if it is, but I, I could certainly sort of almost see it just uh, like randomly getting this idea, acting on it so quickly. It just feels like there's a lot of thoughts that, that are going through her head. Increase in goal-directed activity, or you could say uh, impulsivity. I think it's like a combination of that and uh, engagement in risky activities. Um, excessive involvement in risky activities. And this also could sometimes involve psychosis. Um, so that's also some, it, psychosis does not have to go with a manic episode, sometimes it does. So something to, uh, to take note of. Um, there's a good question here, like what does her past job history look like? Yeah, that would be really, really helpful, uh, really helpful to know. I, um, so the, I actually, I mean, of course, I, I made, made this scenario up, but I, it was based off of, um, in a personal uh, context of a, a friend that I had, um, where she, uh, her mom had bipolar mood disorder, and, um, and my friend pretty much took care of her, but she, she was, uh, she uh, did take medications, 
her illness was mostly under control. Um, but there were these times where, you know, my friend would have to rescue her from, from Walmart because she'd be in the store with baskets completely full of things. And like, she would have to go like, okay, we have to put all of this back down. And we, and that's when we knew that, okay, we, we need to go see the psychiatrist. It looks like a manic episode has either started or it's like really kicking into high gear. So that was, you know, that was an indicator for them. And like they, you know, mother and daughter, they had such a wonderful system of, uh, of being supports for each other. And, um, you know, the daughter took such a, did such a great job of, of helping mom and being supportive there. And um, so, yeah, that, that was what kept coming to mind as I was writing this. And, and thank you for putting this in. So very important to assess and differentiate between bipolar one, more manic and bipolar two, more depressive. And so those are some, uh, those are some details we're not gonna get into today, but I do, I absolutely believe that it's, it's worth mentioning. So, you know, there's, manic episodes, but there's also hypomanic episodes, which are not as severe. They don't meet as many of the criteria that you would see in a manic episode. So there's some differentiation there. And again, those details are absolutely important. And it is important to assess to make sure you don't diagnose someone with bipolar one when it's actually not that severe. They may have uh, bipolar two, for example, um, or maybe even something else. But yeah, we won't be able to get into that today. But I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and so, with a manic episode, it's associated with the bipolar mood disorder, and um, and that is you know there's really not. Uh, there's not a whole lot of other contexts in which a manic episode would uh, would appear. So um, I'm going to go to the next slide here. So a really quick summary. I know we only went over just a few disorders, and we didn't even focus on disorders. We primarily focused on symptoms. We grouped those symptoms in psychosis, sort of the negative and positive aspects of it, the disorganized thoughts and behaviors. Um, we looked at hallucinations and delusions, and then we looked at um, a major depressive episode and also a manic episode. So combinations of these things can, can exist. For example, uh, schizoaffective disorder exists when somebody experiences um, all of the symptoms of schizophrenia, but when they're experiencing a psychotic episode, they're also experiencing a manic episode or they're also experiencing a major depressive episode, like schizophrenia is not challenging enough. And then to add sort of those mood elements to it. So it's, it's complex. And I think many of you are aware of how complex uh, uh, making an appropriate diagnosis can be. And, you know, I, I think about it, like it's, it's very much medical model, which is okay. I'm not criticizing that because there's certainly not, I don't know if there's a better model. And sometimes our like behaviors, like it, it's really hard to categorize them at times. So um, I just think it's worth noting that it's, gosh, that's why the DSM is constantly changing because we're always learning more and more about, about the disorders. Um, and see, oh, oh, sorry, I missed a couple comments. Might want to include increased dangerous sexual activity in the manic symptoms. Yeah, that's a really good, it's a really good point because that is certainly one of the areas in which um, that risky behavior 
you often would see, or maybe substance use, um, increased use in substances, um, again, more risky behavior. Okay, uh, so really quickly, only a trained and credentialed uh, clinicians can make a diagnosis. Um, what's, what I was hoping to emphasize here is that what's more important is that we're recognizing these experiences that people have. Diagnosis is important, but we want to recognize that these are such difficult experiences to have sometimes that um, they cause a lot of pain and disruption in people's lives. And so that's what I'm hoping to shift the focus a bit. Um, clinicians need to determine if symptoms are caused by another medical condition or substance use. So we, that came up quite a bit. So I don't think we need to talk too much about that. In many of the disorders, not all of them, but many of them, symptoms have to be significant enough to cause a disruption in daily functioning. And to kind of build upon that, I want to mention that, you know, you know, I remember in grad school, like when I first got the DSM, it was kind of fun to go through and be like, oh, I've done that before. Or I felt that way before. Like, and I can still probably associate to many different symptoms now and again. That doesn't mean that we have the disorder. Um, most people probably have symptoms at some point in their life. Doesn't mean that you necessarily have whatever disorder that might be um, referencing. And then I wanted to also point out that there are screening tools. Like we've talked about just, we've mostly been focusing on interviews, um, but there are also screening tools available. Um, that help to help us to construct a diagnosis and a, um, and a clinical picture of what's experienced. But unfortunately, like, like there, there's not, there are not objective laboratory tests. Uh, I know this may sound common sense, but I, I wish there was. I wish there was a way we could run blood work and say, okay, yeah, it looks like this level of something is high enough and now you have this disorder. It'd be a little bit easier, but those things just don't exist. Um, so just makes diagnosis even that more, uh, that more challenging. So it's definitely a skill. And, um, and just by the comments that I've seen, uh, it sounds like many of you have lots of experience already with noticing symptoms, knowing where to go with those symptoms. Um, so I really, really appreciate that. And just have a couple quotes. Um, Healing takes time and asking for help is a courageous step. That's by Mariska Hargitay. Now I am not a pop culture person, but that is the woman in uh, Law and Order at SVU. So, um, uh, and she does a lot of work um, in her personal life um, for survivors of sexual assault. So, and then Glenn Close says, what mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor and more unashamed conversation. And I couldn't agree more. And I hope that if you do check out the, those videos, um, I think Warren, who's the, the, the person in those videos, she really demonstrates this, like, you know what, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to talk about all the things that sometimes people are afraid of. I want to say thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's great to see all the faces. So that's a really nice surprise. Um, thank you so much for joining and um, enjoy the rest of your day.